This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to another edition of Inside Carolina's Day After Podcast. Shout out to the regulars that are already in here no carolina game still got regulars in the chat we're also sponsored by johnny t-shirt and johnny t-shirt.com Sanders, I must ask the first question of the day. What have you done or what did you do on your bye week? I watch football, oddly <laughs> enough. Uh, uh, you know, it's um, technology these days is wonderful, you know, and Mrs. Buck uh, loves televisions anyway, so they're all over the house. And uh, so with YouTube TVs, four screen uh, option where you can see a multi-view really nice that and a couple of TVs you can keep up with pretty much everything these days it is fascinating I came down did a little fishing on Friday ate a little fish on Friday night Um, hadn't seen the sun yet at the beach I saw somebody post on my Facebook feed they're at the beach somewhere on the North Carolina coast. It is sunny there. I haven't seen it all weekend. Jason Staples, uh, I know that rare is the occasion you get a double bye week. <laughs> uh, I see you wiping sleep from your eyes, but how's your weekend been before we get into this? Um. Well, I mean, I I <laughs> recorded a, a long film session of uh, for the other, other thing yesterday since I uh, had the extra time and then like Buck watched a little ball and then uh, did some fall cleaning and spent some time with my with my girls. So that's uh, you know, and and then since I've got less today, uh, I'm taking the girls to Ashboro for the zoo. So uh, after after we uh, get done with the morning, that will be a fun trip. Certainly miss those days. But let's get right into this. Uh, North Carolina, of course, was off. Yesterday, Syracuse next Saturday at 3.30. Um, before I forget, Inside Carolina Live will be in the bowls lot from 12.30 to 2.30. Be sure you check it out. Uh, a lot of football around the conference. We will get into that in the second half of the show yesterday and a lot of relevant football, especially potentially relevant injuries. Um, but but Carolina-related, we've sort of had a, a while to marinate on this 4-0 start and ironically, and this is something we can discuss, Mac talked about how difficult the 4-0 start was going into the season. Uh, the way that things have shaken out, it, it might be the, the the easiest portion of the schedule when it comes down to it. But Syracuse, of course, um, had some reckoning yesterday. How has this North Carolina team looked, Buck, up to this point 
based on how you thought they would look, based on your expectations with staff changes, you know, Drake May coming in in year two, and then also these defensive improvements that we, we needed to see from them. Just your thoughts there, um, and let's let's get into this a little bit because I think it's a relevant discussion going forward. The ability of the defense to be improved, I mean, their, their improvement, is noticeable now they've not played any offensive powerhouses at this point but you can tell it's a different team they're tackling better they're taking better angles um i think they're a more mature and veteran defense they've added some really critical pieces to that uh, defense like elijah huzzy and uh you know they're getting good play from marcus allen we just saw a little bit of him at the end of the year last year, and uh, this year he's one of the higher-rated uh, corners we have with PFF. Um, I think the staff changes, we can see it, obviously, with Drake May. Uh, it, it's a different – they said they were going to do the same thing in the passing attack, but it's not exactly the same, is it? And um, so – we can see some uh, impact on the staff changes there. The one thing that I would point to that I I don't know that I was prepared to see is that North Carolina is a far better team offensively in short yardage and goal line. Uh, they're getting the ball in. They, they've shown that they can uh, punch the ball in when, you know, it's, a, it's fourth and goal or third and goal from the two or three yard line and then just run it in and that's a pleasing um, feature of this offense that we haven't seen we didn't see much of under Longo I think the uh, 2019 way have been pretty good one of those years was okay but for the most part he struggled in the red zone more often than not so um, the influence over Drake there I think uh is making North Carolina into a team that can has a chance to win a rock fight instead of uh, you know just a high-scoring shootout. Uh, there haven't actually been any shootouts uh, this this year, except to the extent that Appalachian State game was. So uh, the change in offensive coordinator um, to Chip Lindsey. I think the defense, uh, particularly rushing the passer, has improved. I think part of that is personnel. I think part of that may be the influence of people like Ted Monacino. Uh, so I think the staff changes so far uh, this year uh, from last year paid off. I think that all of those uh, changes ended up being a positive. Uh, you can't always, you're not always able to say that. So uh, the de defense, they've gone from like horrible to they're a, an average defense now. They're like 55. Uh, so in, in a lot of areas, they're in that middle ground or just above middle ground uh, defensively. If they can maintain that, if, even when they play some of these better offenses, then the ceiling for uh, North Carolina, I think, goes way up. 
I agree with that and a lot to unpack in, in that. Jason, let me ask one specific question off of um, what Buck said about Drake May's play and how the maybe the offensive coordinator ha has changed that a little bit, and, and I contend for the better. But how much of what we've seen from Drake is based on receivers versus based on uh, offensive coordinator change as far as, you know, not – having the big, huge games, the big splash plays and things like that? I'd say probably 70, 80% is more, more due to receivers than anything. Uh, if you put Antoine Green or Tez Walker. That guy. Just, just going just gonna to put that out there. Uh, if you put one of those guys out there as a true deep threat, like what he had out there last year at that spot, and then you, and then you added a – uh, a Josh Downs type from last year, who is who played all those in every game so far. I think it'd be a pretty significantly different situation for him. Now, I do think Nate McCollum, uh, when when he came back and was was looking pretty healthy in that in that first game against against Minnesota, I think that sort of compensated for for the lack of one. But they still it, it, not having the both. Uh, was a factor. Now, last year, in fairness, against App State, against Georgia, Georgia State, uh, they didn't have those guys because they were they were hurt, right? Uh, but they did get they get, did get Josh back after that, and then Antoine back. Uh, I think he came back for Notre Dame last year. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So once they got to the to to teams with a pulse, they had those guys last year. And, you know, against App State last year, you say, well, they didn't put up the numbers against App State this year that they did last year in terms of, what, 60 points. Partly because they didn't give up 60 points. The game was very different. Uh, and they, they, they ran it well enough that if they needed to score, I think they could have scored more in that game. If there'd been a lot more possessions, they'd have probably scored on those possessions. They just didn't score on a couple early ones. So I think that's the biggest factor. Uh and beyond that, it's just been that the flow of different games have required a, a little bit of a different approach in terms of um, in terms of running the football a lot against App State, in terms of you're ahead pretty early against South Carolina, and, and you're not you're not playing a lot of games where you're in those shootouts. And I think that's another factor. And then there's I think the other factor. Actually, I'm going to adjust the receivers down to say. 60% uh, because I think there's a third factor that's in there. That's a bigger, bigger factor, even than, than, than the offense coordinator or staff changes. And I, I think the offensive line has been a little weaker this year than it was last year. And I think that's been a factor in pass protection specifically in the running game. They've not been a whole lot different than they were last year, but with the seam Richards uh, gone at, at left tackle and you know, some of the adjustment that's happened there. And I think a couple of players have, have not been quite as solid this year as they were last year. Uh, I think, I think protection has been more of an issue at different points this year so far than it was at least through the early going last year. Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing for me, and you sort of went there, both of you did is that Drake doesn't have to win every game. Uh, now it may get to a portion where he has to, I mean, and I'm sure there will be, but, Thus far, he has not had to singularly win every game for this North Carolina team. 
Uh, staff changes, Jason, as far as on defense, and I'll stay with you, and then, Buck, I'm coming back to you on uh, the follow-up, is Ted Monachino and the grad transfer, uh, whose name is the grad assistant, whose name escapes me right now from Ohio State, uh, how big a difference have those guys made on this defensive line? Well, I'm just going to read you a few stats, and actually we can I can give you a couple of visuals on this in a moment. But last year, okay, here's some numbers, and I'm going to I'm going to put this together in a little little article this week, I think. Last year, when when the defense blitzed, okay, so this is when you're bringing pressure. When the defense blitzed on first down, they they produced a havoc rate of 9.1%. That's not great. This year, 12.4%. That's a that's a jump by a third, right? That's not great still, but it's better. Second down last year, havoc rate when blitzing, 7.9%. This year, 15.1%. They've doubled it. Last year, havoc rate when blitzing, 16.8% on third down. This year, 30.9%. Significant. That's doubled again, or pretty close to. And the success rates map on pretty closely to that too. So just to give you an example, third down success rate last year, when blitzing, 58.4%. This year, 65%. Last year on second down, 44% success rate defensively when blitzing. They were worse than 50-50. This year, 55%. 10% better almost or what uh, seven let's see no 44 to 54 yeah 44 and change to almost 55 that's a 10% jump in success rate when bringing an extra guy so that tells you something right away right so when you're when they're not blitzing by the way the numbers match up to that as well I'm going to pull those up in just a moment but I think the biggest difference is when they've actually brought pressure or when they've, when you're looking at a pass rush situation this year, they've managed to, to, to do things that they didn't do last year in terms of changing the game of getting pressure and then causing quarterbacks to make mistakes. I mean, they've produced some turnovers this year that they didn't last year. And that I think is the, is, is a notable difference that we've seen so far this year and that's over you know the, the the first few games remember last year they had the personnel that they have this year pretty much with the exception of Amari Gaynor and you know then you know last year they had uh uh what's the name from Virginia Noah Taylor yeah they had Noah Taylor last year at that point so you're looking at an apples apples comparison over the first four games it, it's a it's a big difference yeah I mean but to that point, um, we've hammered Tim Cross repeatedly, and as has everybody. Um, I, you know, Monachino's effect is there. The grad assistant's effect is there. The bottom line is Tim Cross's group this year is is producing, and a lot of people have talked about it extra years. Finally, they've they've grown up and all that stuff. Just your thoughts on this aspect of it, because I think this is the biggest difference for me watching the defense 
is the defensive line's not just out there. Quick correction before you answer that. Okay. I actually didn't have the blitz thing checked. So those were the numbers overall that I just gave, whether okay. blitzed or not. So I didn't have the blitz thing checked. I thought I did, but I did not. So that is havoc rate overall, not even when blitzing. Significant. But your thoughts on just the defensive line side of it. Obviously, the secondary has gotten better. And, and, and that progression, coaching improvements, coaching additions, player improvements. I mean, there's a balance there. There's a lot going on to see North Carolina make some difference. Yes, uh, the thing that has struck me uh, through the first four games, at least, is that North Carolina has really only played one team that's good at throwing the ball, and that's South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina had something like 40 attempts, I think, and I don't think anybody else has got close to that many. Uh, App likes to run the ball as well. Minnesota doesn't have much of a passing game, and either does Pitt. But the one team that they did play that um, had to drop back and sling it a lot because they were behind, and that was the only way they could do anything to catch up with South Carolina. And if going forward they're going to play some teams that throw the ball much better than the teams on the front end of the schedule, Miami, for example. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen at, at Duke with uh, Leonard. He may or may not be there, but uh, his backup is certainly to be all-world. Um, so there's going to be some other teams down the road that are, that are going to, to sling the ball. And if the South Carolina game, which it may not be because their offensive line is, is not very good, uh, is any indication, uh, their ability, you can't create a lot of havoc in the backfield against the passer if they don't throw the ball. Right. Um, so it's going to be interesting to me to see how North Carolina lines up against teams that really can throw the ball well. And the one I'm thinking about off the top of my head is Miami. Um, so we'll, we'll just see, have to see how that goes. It's going to be, you know, a lot of folks and, and, Folks in the chat saying Carolina hadn't really been great, and it's been Cayman Rucker. Yeah, Cayman Rucker's on defensive line, and Cayman Rucker was on the team last year. And, uh, you know, the growth of everybody, I, I think it's a work in progress. I think we'll see, and Buck, to your point, uh, Miami comes into town in a couple weeks, and they're going to sling it. And Garrett Schrader for Syracuse um, struggled a little bit against Clemson. He's going to be a different animal. They've got a lot to prove. They've improved, though. I, I mean, I don't think – Anybody can watch this team and think the defensive line hadn't significantly improved. And then you've got a back-end play. And, Jason, anything before I move on? Because I kind of want to get into this schedule portion of the what we were going to talk about because it's relevant to what Buck was just talking about. The toughest games ahead for North Carolina and the best or worst matchups. What's the worst matchup you see for North Carolina coming? We'll say in October because who knows what November holds with injuries and all that. That's a good question. I'm actually I got to pull the schedule up just to remember who's where. <laughs> they got Syracuse next week, Miami at home after that, Virginia, and I believe they go to Georgia Tech. I can't keep up with it. Yeah, but anyway, out, out of that, it's definitely Miami. That is the uh, that's the one that's the the hardest uh, and and the worst matchup, uh, mostly because Miami's so good up front, 
and Miami can throw the football. They've got a quarterback that can that can throw it, and they're they might be they might be on the, if you put the if you took the two lines together, they might be the best line of scrimmage Carolina's going to play. So offensive and defensive lines can, together, uh, they're 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 really good. Um, and you know, I would say. You know, Clemson's better on the defensive line overall. But yeah, Miami, I think in terms of overall offensive and defensive lines, that that's that's gonna be a tough one. Just because you're gonna have to be you're gonna have to match the physicality and you're gonna have to be able to handle the pass rush against the team that can also stop the run. So now, granted, Miami has not played a team you know, Texas AM is is okay, but they're not uh you know, they're still coming off a five and seven season. Uh, I mean, it's a good Texas A&M team, but beyond that, you know, North Car- or North Carolina is going to going to have played a tougher slate than than Miami so far. I mean, Miami's played the other Miami, Bethune, and Temple, and their other three. So the, it, the jury's still a little bit out on 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 what they what they are, but I, I think they're pretty significantly improved. And with that quarterback and those those two lines of scrimmage, I think they're going to be they're going to be the biggest challenge. And then after that. That close, obviously, and we'll get to this later in the in the in the uh, program. But that close of Duke at Clemson and at NC State is going to be brutal. Indeed, it's been fascinating to watch these teams play. And, and like I said just a second ago, I stopped at at October because, Buck, to your point earlier, who knows what happens with uh, a team like Duke when you've got the injuries, uh, Riley Leonard. What a brutal way to lose a football game and then to potentially lose your quarterback. I hope the kid's all right. I hope he gets to play, and I hope he's back next week. Um, but potentially he's not, and everybody's day-to-day in college football. But toughest – is that last half of the se- – the last three games of the season the toughest stretch, or is Miami the toughest game on the whole? Your thoughts? Well, I think it's flipped uh, to some degree. Uh since the schedule was announced since in the preseason, when we looked at these games by far to me, um, I thought the hardest part were going to be the last three games, Clemson, I mean, Duke, Clemson and, and NC state. But if Leonard's not there, that's going to bring Duke down a peg. They're still going to be good. One of the strongest parts of their team is their defense. And that's not going anywhere with, uh, with Leonard's injury. And, you know, they're, they're a good, well-coached team. They're going to be tough whether Leonard's there or not. They'll be much a little bit tougher or a good bit tougher if Leonard is around. But is he going to be around? We don't know. I can remember when Mac Brown just, like, lost his mind when uh, the ACC schedule came out. But when it came out, I expected Duke to be good. I, I, I thought they would be as good as they look now. Uh, Clemson has not looked as good as I thought they would. NC State has not looked as good as I thought they would. So of those three teams, one may be without a significant player. Clemson, still a strong team. They're going to be tough to beat, particularly down in Death Valley. Um, But there is not a strong team as we're used to seeing out of Dabo Sweeney's uh, Clemson Tigers. And then NC State, honestly, I think they got, they have issues. Uh, you now, a lot of people are talking about 
they're going to do a uh, switch a quarterback and do away with Armstrong, bringing in Jay Morris. And he played well against North Carolina last year, so we'll see. But I just think NC State has taken a step back this year. Um, so that that last three-game stretch, Duke, Clemson, and NC State, doesn't look as tough to me now from this perspective as it did at the start. Bearing in mind, that can change again, right? You know, in the next four games – Clemson and NC State could catch fire. You you know you don't even know what's going to happen. So the perspective has changed a little bit. We'll see how that holds up through the next uh, third of the schedule. Yeah, let me get a, a question in here from the chat. And uh, Timothy Phelps, yes, that is Nantucket, the band Nantucket. They actually came to the neighborhood. Um, I think it was last summer. Played in my neighborhood. I saw them play when I was like a preteen in the 70s and 80s, which was pretty cool. The ones that are still living can still rock it out. And uh, the ones that replaced the ones that have moved on were were pretty strong as well. Mark Cole, I assume you mean the Bowles lot. And if you mean the Bowles lot tailgating next Saturday, that's down by the Smith Center on the Dean Dome. It's that lot down there. Jason, this question I had in the chat, Jimbo Whitfield. And if you have questions for Jason or Buck, put them in the chat and I'll try to star them. UNC has struggled running on the edge. How can they get better at that before we move on to the second half of the show? They used to be able to run wide fairly successfully. Now it seems like it's a it's a tackle-to-tackle endeavor. They've had some success. But, Jason, what's the issue on the edge for North Carolina? Is, is he talking about on the offensive side or the defensive side here? That's a good follow-up. Let's do both. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think on the defensive side, they've generally been pretty good. If you look at the numbers too, that that backs that up. Uh, there have been a, a few, and I highlighted one of them a couple weeks ago, where you know you had a, a breakdown here or there that they've given up a run, but it hasn't been a bunch. They've, they've not given up a ton of success on the outside. Um, you know, pulling up the numbers here, uh, defensively, I mean. The success rate of teams running wide of the tight end against the Carolina defense so far this year, 29% outside the right side, and it's been 50% on the left. So that that and teams have have done it a lot. So they've not had a ton of success. Uh, you know, it's not been one of those where there's been you know, oh, you run around one one side or whatever, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of success uh, offensively. Let's see if there's a shift there. Offensively, if we look at the running game gaps, well, offensively, there's just a lot of red on there in general. Uh, the success rate running the football, 33% outside the tight end on the right, 35% outside the tight end on the on the left. But there's just there's not a lot of green on the on there, which is you know that's interesting because they've run the ball a lot, but you know you look across the board, the overall success rate that they've had uh, has not been great in the running game yet. And, and that's something they're still working to, to fix. They played a couple really good defenses, but uh, that's been, that's not been uh, something that they've, they've done as well as, as what you'd like to see. So, uh, you know, your, your overall success rate running the football is 50.2%. So, you know, it's coin flip as to whether or not you're, 
you are uh, you're you're having a, a good or a bad run play right now with the with the offense. So yeah, I, I don't think there's one thing. I, I'm not looking at either side of the ball and saying that this is actually something that stood out to me. I think they've actually been okay. I thought there was maybe a, a, a game or two where Huzzy and, and the slots were kind of – the slot corners, the, the stars, were kind of settling in to how they were going to handle that role. And I thought the last couple of games they they basically did their thing. But against that, there, were, there, were, there was a little bit of looseness there against – South Carolina, there was a little bit of looseness there. I'm not real worried about what I've seen so far from that. Yep, a couple of ch- questions coming in from the chat, but I'm going to take a second to talk about Johnny T-Shirt, sponsor mm. of this podcast. And friends of you, the NC Carolina Premium subscriber, uh, look, a lot of people for the last several weeks have asked, uh, where do you get a Drake May jersey? Johnny T-Shirt's got them in their NIL, their NIL deal. Johnny T-shirts got the small sizes, the big sizes, and I got online during the show last week, and I could have ordered one day to deliver it straight to the house. So, Johnny T-shirts got you covered with Drake. Johnny T-shirts got you covered with everything else tailgate related. Basketball's around the corner. Whew, basketball is around the corner. It's already October first, folks. Don't take a second longer to get what you need from Johnny T-shirt for the winter time. The blankets, the hoodies, the crew neck sweatshirts that former host used to love and as well as uh any school journalism any shirt you need shop at johnny t-shirt get your 10 percent off if you're a premium subscriber they take care of you great customer service all that good stuff and they're alumni owned and operated support local support johnny t-shirt national guys pay the bills it's the day after sort of unc status check when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right, folks, we are back here the second half of the day after. UNC status check. Don't forget Johnny and Johnny T-shirt. Buck, I'm going to ask you a question in the chat. Uh, well, it's a point maybe that Preston from Greensboro, who is a regular, made. And this is about the defense again. Last year, bad offenses looked good against North Carolina. This year, bad offenses looked bad against UNC. But for me uh, – as far as my status check, I said it a little bit earlier, that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen is, like, Carolina's handled business and made bad teams look bad. They can't help who they play, um, but they certainly can help how they play against those teams. For me, that's a plus. It might be a double plus, maybe a, a you know a high B plus plus for North Carolina, especially on the defensive side. I totally agree, and we've talked about – and, and the larger theme here, which Jason and I have talked about, you've talked about, that 
North Carolina is now at a spot where they don't have to have a one-score game against Pittsburgh or a one-score game against South Carolina. They can win by double digits, play a few extra players, and it's that old lose big, lose small, win small, win big progression that you like to see. And I think we are seeing that progression this year, and that, that plays back into the idea that if somebody has a bad offense, they don't have a record day. We don't make their season. North Carolina doesn't make their season statistically um, when they just show up and play. Uh, I think a couple of tests are still out there for North Carolina, though we've seen a little bit of it. But I don't think they've faced a uh, quarterback yet that's a really good running quarterback. Uh, maybe the kid a little bit at Appalachian State, but um, there are quarterbacks down the, down the road that North Carolina's going to see that run the ball. And those are the offenses that North Carolina has, has had trouble stopping, even when they're not great offenses. If they've got a quarterback can run, I mean, that's one of the reasons why Duke was a pretty scary team up until, and we'll see, he could come back. But uh, the ability of the quarterback to run the ball has been uh, kryptonite uh, to North Carolina's defense. And we, I don't think we've got enough evidence just yet um, to on that, on that particular facet of defense. Jason, on that point, give me something that surprised you in a good way for North Carolina this year? I'll just leave um, it wide, wide open for you. I, I got to say, uh, Omarion Hampton, I think the overall improvement from him being able to run the football with uh, good rhythm and, and, and vision through most of this year, uh, that, was the, that was one of the biggest questions coming into the year for me. And I think he's handled business on that. He's he's really done. Uh, he's done important. He, he's carried an important load for them. And I think that's uh, that's probably the most imp most surprising, really good thing so far has been that they've been able to to handle that business. I think most of the rest of the season has gone sort of as expected uh, to this point, based on on what we saw in the preseason. Anything surprised you negative, negatively, negatively? Well, I mean, the the number one thing that surprised me is that Tez Walker didn't get cleared. That was a big negative. <laughs> so, you know that that's still an ongoing thing. But yeah, that's the rumor that it that over. That that was one that that. That surprised me, given the given the case that he that he had for that transfer, um, that I think changed the whole complexion of what you what you are offensively, uh, because of the the ability to just have that guy. You know, it's the the whole thing about you know Coach Bowden used to say the secret to being a, a great coach is having better players than the other team, and. Uh, <laughs> When you have a wide receiver who can just run by whoever's covering him, that that uh, that helps a lot. So um, that's probably the biggest surprise. The other biggest surprise, 
I would say is just the overall uh, overall cohesiveness of what we're seeing up front on the defense. They've, they've been, they've been, they've made a significant enough improvement. I thought we'd see a, a pretty big improvement, but it's been, I'd, I'd say just a, a tick higher than, than what I'd expected uh, so far through the, through this point in the season. And, um, and that's been a plus I, I expected the, the, you know, I see a couple of people I saw uh, Marcus Allen being as good outside as, as he's been, you know, people pointing to the, to the back end, the cornerbacks and all that. That's not been surprising to me. That's what I expected based on seeing them in spring and fall. So uh, that's a big plus, but a lot of the pluses that we've seen is growth where I thought there, I, I thought it'd be, uh, uh, I thought we'd see it. And I'd say the other nice surprise is just the overall level of improvement in physicality on both sides of the ball. That's been a, that's been a good surprise. Yeah. Buck, uh, surprise, positive, surprise, negative. I unmuted you for you. Uh, that wasn't me. That wasn't me folks. I got it. It was Tommy. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want Taylor Vipless to see this. He will uh, give me a hard time about it. Uh, the uh, the the thing the surprise for me is the and, and I guess there's a lot of uh, mystery about how will teams make adjustments at halftime or if they do make adjustment at halftime you know if they just come in and say hey we need to play better and send them back out there but uh, North Carolina this year through four games is giving up seven and a half points in the second half um, to and all I think comers. And I think 24 of those was the app, right? Or right. 17 to app. Yeah. 18 nationally and, and in terms of second half points that North Carolina has given up. So, um, and, and also I think probably maybe in three to four games, they got lucky on the coin flip. So they got the ball to start the second half. I think that's always big. Um, if you play it right, if you play the get the last drive of the first half and the first drive of the second half, that's going to help, right? But uh, the being that good defensively, um, only giving up seven and a half points was not something I expected. I thought they would be better defensively. But I wasn't looking for that big of a difference between first half and second half. Um, the surprise in a bad way, um, and and I, this I think probably uh, dates back to what uh, Jason was saying a little earlier. I don't think the offensive line has yet gelled. Now some of that is. Uh, due to the absence of Willie Lampkin. And if they can get him back uh, before the Syracuse game, the, the running game is going to look significantly better against Syracuse than it, than it has looked recently. So uh, it's, it's amazing that one guy can make that big of a difference. But if you go back and look at some of the games that North Carolina played with him and without him, um, it, it, he makes a big difference. He could just um, – seal that left-hand side and, and create holes uh, that otherwise don't get created in the running game for North Carolina. So, uh, But to date, they still, I don't think, have completely jailed. I think Diego Pounds has been a good surprise. 
because he's he's grading out pretty well, even as a redshirt freshman. But uh, as a group, I think they need to get Willie Lampkin back and uh, and continue to chill and get better. Jason has dropped me some uh, photos to show or some stats to show in the chat, um, and I'm going to try to see if I can get them up here. Um, before I get to that, this this takes us to the ceiling for this team, and I want to discuss the ceiling. But before we discuss the ceiling, I want to introduce a new sponsor, Congruity. Mm-hmm. New sponsor, yeah, Buck. Buck, give them a shout-out. And then I'll tell everybody what our new sponsor specializes in and how uh, you and your small business can certainly benefit from having congruity on your side. We were real excited uh, when uh, congruity reached out to us. uh, And it's kind of a testament to how well these shows is what we should call them instead of anything else, podcasts or video. Uh, But these shows have done very well for us and, uh, the guys over at Congruity, which is a North Carolina-based uh, corporation. Uh, they work out of here. They uh, do payroll, HR, um, that sort of thing. And just we're, we're just really excited to have them as a new sponsor to these shows uh, and really hope that people will reach out if they have a need for uh, payroll or HR help. Um, these guys have built a really nice uh, – corporation dealing with those issues and, and the service they provide is excellent i'll let tommy say more about that but um we're just really pleased to have congruity on board yeah uh, it, it's cool when you know I, I say earlier and every time we talk about sponsorships or local business i say shop local well, congruity is a local-based company um, they're out of north carolina the guys are local uh, they're a national company because they've done well and they do well because they help you out. It's your small business. They got top of the line technology. You know, a lot of times we get behind the times when we're dealing with technology. It goes so fast. Um, you might have a brand new computer that's outdated. Congruity stays on top of it. They help out the small business and the mid-sized business owners with all their payroll, their HR. Um, I, I know if you're a small business or, or a, a, you know, a mid-sized business or whatever, Payroll and HR aspect can be a pain in the rear end. Congruity's got you covered there. And the customer service. Look, I don't deal with anybody that doesn't provide good customer service. I always say it doesn't take a second to smile, a second to be helpful. They do all of that. They help you out in whatever way you need, and they do it in a way that makes you feel needed and wanted, and that's big for me. It should be big for everybody. And then they transform your organization to a higher level. I mentioned this segment as the ceiling for North Carolina coming down the road um, in the season where congruity transforms folks to a higher level. They take care of them. Darren and Matt and that whole team, they take care of you just as other folks take care of you. Congruity and Congruity HR will take care of you. So here's what you need to do. If you're a small business owner or even a mid-sized business owner, go to congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels, all one word, to learn more about them. Check them out. They take care of you. They're sponsors of this show. You see their logo right here on the screen. I think it's to my left or right. The cool little new logo. <laughs> but they take care. Hey, look, 
Buck Sanders does not allow folks that aren't great people to be a part of Inside Carolina, and Congruity reached out because of Inside Carolina on these shows, and it's a match made perfectly. Check out congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. All right, ceiling for the team. Let's see if I can get these uh, these screens up that Jason wanted to show because I'm telling you folks, this is the reason the ceiling is extremely high. All right, let's do it right here. Just so folks understand, this is havoc rates and success rates this year. So this is pressure rate on the x-axis. So this is the this is the this is last year's 2022. This one is the pressure rate on the x-axis. The y-axis is the havoc rate. So havoc rate is sacks, turnovers, you know, fumbles, forced, that sort of thing, right? Yep. And I mentioned, I said this year, this is last year. Yeah, this What's is last year. Yep. So North Carolina last year, just, just pick one out. The pressure rate for North Carolina, for North Carolina last year was 26.6%, which was good for 119th in the country. Right. That's, that's not good. Their havoc rate last year was, uh, let's see. Havoc rate was ranked. Gonna scroll all the way down. They were a 10.7% havoc rate, which was 129th. They were ahead of two teams last year, Cal and Colorado. Okay. So those aren't good numbers. 119th and 129th in the country in those two numbers. Take a look at the 2023 ones. We'll see how I can get it up here. Hold on a second. This is significant. There you go. Yeah. So this year, havoc rate, 16.8% which is good for 42nd, right? Pressure percent, it, they've gone, they've jumped to 18th at 37%. So from 26%, just over 26% to almost 38%, which is good for 18th in the country. I mean, that, that's moving from the bottom quartile to the top quartile. That makes an absolutely massive difference for your defense. When you do that, all of a sudden, the back end looks better. Everybody starts to look better when you start to get pressure on the quarterback. And, and that's, that's what we've seen so far this year. That's why the, the, the overall ceiling. And remember, this is through a schedule that so far has featured teams from the SEC from the Big Ten and the ACC for three of your opponents. And then the other one was a team that you gave up 40 points to in the in the fourth quarter last year. So that's improvement against teams that you look at as, you know, at least peer institutions in that respect. And indeed. And and I think that is that's the story of the season so far. So but for you, um, what is the ceiling for this team? 4-0, they've done what they're supposed to do. Great time for a bye week. Folks get healthy. Um, they've watched some other teams take some major hits while they were off this week. Uh, what's the ceiling? Well, for me, I, I don't like to get too far out over my skis on these things. Uh, when you look at some of the teams – that are sitting in the rankings uh, above North Carolina, which they're 15, 
probably move to 14 today in both polls. But if you look at the teams that are uh, above them uh, in those in the rankings today as they exist, you, you're looking at teams like Oregon, Alabama, LSU, um, on and on and on, Florida State, uh, Michigan, Georgia, Texas. Can, can I look at North Carolina and in my head imagine that they're going to end up in one of those top four spots for the playoff? I, I'm not there yet. I think that's uh, a little bit of a big stretch to, to get into that air. If we were in a 12-team scenario uh, this year, possible, possible. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to rule out uh, CFP potential, but I'm very skeptical that they can get to that uh, rarefied air this year. Uh, even with Drake May. But beyond Jason, that, I go ahead. No, I was I was going to pop in, but you you keep rolling. Beyond that, I, I think the you know the ceiling is the roof, so to speak. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, uh, to uh, I think they could get to it in a New York Six game. Um, I think they still have work to do to prove that they, they could get there yet. Uh, they managed it uh, in 2020, but that was a strange year. Or So in any event, uh, I think, you know, when I looked at this in the preseason, I thought, I told myself, this is a 9-3 and three team. After weighing everything in my head, I said, this is a 9-3 and three team. If the defense shows up. And so far, they've shown up. Could they get to double digits? I think it's possible. I think they could get to 10 wins. Um, I'm not ready to do a Tommy Ashley 12-0 and at this point. But uh, I, I, think, uh, I, I think the needle has moved for me uh, to from a 9-3 and three team to basically a double-digit team. So... Uh, that that's what we're looking at, and I think if they do that against this schedule, which is a real schedule, you know the the, the out of conference teams they played, um, they don't, they're not in the same place they were in 2015 when their schedule wasn't nearly as good, and they they lost their opener there. So we'll see, but I, I'm thinking a 10 and two team is possible. Jason. You know, best case, worst case scenario, I think Buck mentioned the best case is 12-0. and 0, But I think what I've seen from the teams that North Carolina's already played sort of leaves me at the 10-2 and 2 mark. Now, I had Pittsburgh as one of those two, so you have to factor that in that you've got a two coming up. You've got to get two somewhere. But your thoughts on how the first four have moved the needle, if they have for you, and then what is – you know, looking out into the into the crystal ball, where's this team headed? Where's this team going? And what can this team accomplish? Um, and, and purely speculative, folks. This is not written in stone. It could change next week for the better or for the worse. Jason, go. Yeah, you know, I think this has been – I don't know that the needle has moved a lot for me. 
partly because lo- looking at looking at the at the schedule from the beginning of the year, there were some questions of okay, how 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 good are you are you going to be coming out of the gate against a few teams with a pulse, right? It was definitely a first month that you had some concerns about, but you knew that the that the back quarter of the schedule, Duke at Clemson at NC State was going to be a tough close. And again, we don't know what's going to happen with Riley Leonard. That that looked like a bad injury to me. Uh, something that's probably going to keep him out for a while, uh, but we don't know. And even if it if it does keep him out for a while, we're looking at you know six weeks from now, basically that that Duke game, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. So, I mean, he may be back by that point anyway. Uh, may not be, but with Riley Leonard, that Duke team is, I think, a good bit better than anybody expected. And I think I think Clemson is a team that is getting better week to week. And that's a team you'd rather have faced early. I think Florida State was fortunate to play them when they did. And uh, I think Miami's better than than expected coming into the year, although I had a sneaky suspicion, if you go back to our prediction show, I had a sneaky suspicion that they might be. Uh, and I think Syracuse is a is a is a lot better than I expected coming into the year. So I think Carolina's been better on the whole than expected but there's there's some reason to kind of have some doubts about how high the ceiling is exactly i mean you look at that pit team just got got uh beat pretty good by virginia tech right virginia tech's not a good football team right and, th- and that pit team just got handled by virginia tech and jerkovic played uh, yeah. i mean they're gonna ride him Narduzzi's going to ride him into the sunset, it sounds like. Yeah, so that that tells you that, you know, okay, that pit win, I mean, how how good was that pit win? It was an important win. It was a good win. Any win on the road, as we talked about in the, in, in the ACC, is a good win. But, you know, I think Syracuse is a step up from Minnesota and Pitt. Miami's two steps up from anybody you've played so far, even being an FCS team. And then, you know, I think Georgia Tech has been better than anticipated. They've been able to throw the football. They've been, they, that's actually a team with a pulse. But and that's lost. the team that beat you last year. Yeah, but they lost to Bowling Green. Did you yeah. see that? Yeah, but they've had a pulse. They, they've, they've actually, they, you know, they, they challenged that Ole Miss team that beat LSU last night. You know, they were in the game deep into the fourth quarter against that Ole Miss team. Yep. So – there are a lot of teams on this schedule. And then you get to, and again, that Duke at Clemson at NC State. And NC State is a good, they're really good on defense. You know, I think they've got some questions on offense, but they that's what they've been. So there's there's about six teams left on this schedule. You know, you go Syracuse, Miami, Georgia Tech, Duke, Clemson, and, and, and NC State. There's six teams on this schedule where you're not going to be surprised. Not that surprised. I guess you'd be surprised if, if Georgia Tech beat you but they did last year so i'm putting them on the list that's six teams where you look at and you're like yeah you know you you got to play a decent game to beat this team or a really good game to beat this team so like buck i'm i'm not i'm not ready to push the ceiling into the 12 and 0 area i don't i don't think that's a realistic ceiling at this stage for the seat for this team 
uh, I think 10 and two is probably a, you know, pushing close to the ceiling, maybe 11 and one, if everything broke right. And I'm still standing on about nine and three as my expectation for this, this team going, you know, going into the, into the uh, postseason. I think this is probably a nine and three team and probably there's probably three losses on the schedule from here. All right. Let me get into some questions. I had them 10 and two. I'm sticking with 10 and two. Let's get some questions. Emily, going into the next stretch of the season with game five, Buck, this is for you. What should North Carolina start doing, stop doing, continue doing based on the first four games? We kind of hit on this a little bit. I think North Carolina's got to get better on the ability to run the football when they need to. They did that against Minnesota. They really couldn't do it against Pittsburgh. But what's what's sort of your what you want to see starting with Syracuse um, that maybe you haven't seen thus far? I got you. Uh, okay. Uh, not, me. not me again. Not me again. <laughs> Uh, but I think the I'm more concerned, I think, about uh, North Carolina, and I wrote about this last week. Most of the teams they've played so far, the four teams they've played so far, except for Appalachia, they're pretty much one-dimensional teams. And they can either run the ball like Minnesota or they can throw the ball like South Carolina, and they're really not any of them capable capable to um, win if you make them play left-handed. But what if a a you're playing a team that is amphibious, like uh, uh, Miami, that can can beat you, you know, running the ball or beat you throwing the ball. Um, you know, at, at Miami, I think maybe has a, a little bit better passing game than they do a running game, but they could still run the ball. Um, so, and, and Clemson can, can do a little of both. Uh, Duke certainly could do a little of both until Leonard got hurt. He was a lot of their running game. So when North Carolina is faced with somebody that, is balanced on both sides of the ball that can run it and throw it. Um, I'm going to have to see how that defense holds up when, cause that calls, calls into conflict, a lot of stuff. Um, and, and you just can't, um, you can't stack the deck to your advantage in those situations. So it, it's going to be interesting to me. I think that Miami game and Syracuse to an extent, Syracuse has had a really balanced, offense except a couple of times i think they hadn't broken the 200 yard mark in a passing game including yesterday so when they play one of these teams that can you know throw it for 300 or run it for 200 um and there's a couple of those on the schedule that's going to be the thing that i'm going to be worried about jason i'm going to ask you a question here it's a little bit more technical question but another one from preston and Carlton in the chat, if you will clarify your line, um, if you're talking about offensive line or defensive line in your question, and I'll ask that. But Jason Preston asks, in the past you didn't love the D-line's first and second steps at the snap. Have you seen improvement this year? Yes. 
yeah, there's been improvement. And uh, now, is it still to my liking? Uh, you know, is it still at the level that I would like to see? No, not 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 entirely. But there's been notable, significant improvement in that respect. And then let's talk about Carlton's question. I'll go ahead and ride with it because um, I think it's talk about well, either or both. Carlton asks, here's a question. Why has UNC gone into each season and stays with you, Jason, with issues on the line? When is it coaching and talent and the talent we are recruiting, we being North Carolina? Uh, I think the offensive line needs to show me something a little bit more than they have this, this, thus far this season, Jason. Randy Clements in his first year. Your take on Carlton's question. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and I'm going to assume that it is offensive line. Usually when people just say line, that usually means offensive line, and then they, they'll say defensive if they mean otherwise. So I'm going to go with, with, with the assumption that this is offensive. Uh, I think it's a combination of factors. I mean, I think the first couple of years they, they got Stacey Searles, uh, and that was a that, – that they had talent in 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 the uh and, and you know i talked about this at the time in the scouting reports and folks were like what you know you got what three four nfl players on this offensive line why can't they block anybody well you know read between the lines here folks and guess what what three of those guys are still playing in the nfl so th there was talent there but I, I thought just some of the things in terms of the the direction from position coach and also Letting those guys, in terms of accountability, be a little sloppy, uh, was was a factor in terms of uh, of conditioning, uh, and that's not a strength and conditioning issue so much as that's a that's a top down, starts with your head coach all the way down to the position coach, and then into the off season issue. You that's a that's a culture issue as much as anything, um, but now I think the 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 bigger issue is that it's, it's, it's really talent. You know, I, I think the, the ceiling for the current North Carolina offensive line is limited because the players, you, you just have not recruited well enough to have the bodies on the offensive line that are at the level that you want to be, if you want to be a playoff contender. And, you know, you start looking at it and you go, where, where offensive line is a, it's a, you have to have great evaluation, first of all. It's a development position, which means it's also a numbers game. If you're going to be good on the offensive line, you have to bring in a lot of, you have to bring in more bodies than you think you did in order to find guys that are going to develop over time, right? So you need to have, you, you want to have 10 guys in any given season that you, that, that can play at the level you want to play to have that depth. Very few teams have that first of all. And in order to get that, this is the second thing you have to bring in, you know, 15, 18 guys over that stretch, because this is just one of those things where you watch a 285 pound guy in high school going against a bunch of 205 pound defensive linemen and, you know, 185 pound linebackers it's, it's just really hard to assess. It's a very hard position to figure out how a guy at 17, what what is that guy going to look like when he's 21 years old? And you're looking at these massive bodies that are going to, that are going to change dramatically at that point. And then it's, you've got to assess, okay, is this guy, 
is does he have the dog in him to develop in that case? And so you just have to assume that half the guys you bring in on the offensive line are probably not going to pan out, which means you got to recruit almost double the number of guys that you think you might in order to, in order to get that to work. And then the other thing is because it's such a development heavy position, continuity with an outstanding offensive line coach is that much more important because it's not one of those positions where you get a good offensive line coach and then year one, all of a sudden everything changes. It's year over year over year improvement and development through the program where you really see that difference. And if you don't have continuity there, that's hard. And Carolina has not had continuity of great offensive line coaching. They had Cyril's, who I, I I don't think is a great offensive line coach in any stretch. And I think you're starting to see the results at, at Georgia. They're not as good up front as they've been. And they, it's not like they don't have players. Uh, and then you go from him and all of a sudden you have, you know, one offensive line coach and then another one in two years. You pair that with what I think is just not bringing in quite enough talented bodies over the last couple of years at that position. And you're going to be kind of where you are now. Um, so that that's the hard part. And it's very few teams. There's, there's probably six teams in the country that feel good about their offensive line right now that feel like, okay, yeah, our offensive line can go out and block anybody. You got what Michigan, uh, you know, maybe, I mean, who else is on that list? Michigan, Notre Dame, maybe. I don't know. Notre Dame. Duke Notre was Dame. some major pressure last. Yeah, Notre Dame gave up a ton of pressure the last two weeks. So, I mean, might just that list might be Michigan right now. <laughs> so, uh, and then, you know, when they've played top-level defensive lines the last couple of years, that as good as their offensive line has been, they've they've struggled too. So, Nobody, that's the that's the final thing, is nobody ever feels really good about their offense. Or if you do feel really good about your offensive line, then you're you probably have a top five offensive line in the nation. <laughs> and that's what people don't understand is offensive line, most schools want serviceable to decent, and that's a good thing. If you I, can I mean, just get stalemates up front most of the time you're really good on the offensive line. If you're not getting your butt kicked every play, then you're really good. And the way that the rules work in, in football now, if you're just not getting your butt kicked on offense, on the offensive line, you know, play in, play out, and you're just getting mostly stalemates, you're, you're actually pretty good. Yeah. One thing we haven't talked about, and SBUNC 92 started, we need to get out of here. We're way overdue, but is special teams. And, and I think, you know, Ben Kiernan's been, been a solid punter forever. Props to Noah Burnett for making some kicks recently after flat out being benched um, and, and losing the starting job to open the season. Ryan Coe hurt and out for some time. Uh, people mentioned Ruggles at Ohio State. Yeah, he played well at Ohio State. It's pretty easy kicking low-pressure kicks all the time. Um, at Ohio State and kicking extra points. But he, he had a good career there. Of course, everybody remembers the last one, which is how it works with kickers. Jonathan Kim doing well at Michigan State. Uh, but North Carolina's special teams, I think, with the addition of Huzzy on the punt return, um, have improved there. And then, uh, you know, field goal kicking is always a work in progress in college. 
college kickers. That's why when Notre Dame was going to wind it down against Duke and leave it in the hands of a kicker, that would have been a terrible mistake, I think, even as good as that guy is. But final thoughts before we get out of here on the day after, bye week edition, uh, status check, whatever we want to call it, I'll let you have the final word. Well, uh, I'll, I'll give you the better, the best final word I can come up with, which is uh, 4-0. Um, <laughs> and and uh, that, that's the way we always look at it, right? I mean, uh, I think the the big final word is not only are they 4-0, they've not played a complete game yet. We haven't seen the best uh, UNC performance, hopefully, that we will see as the season progresses. So they've been able to win without being perfect. And if you can do that, if you can do that by double digits in most cases, uh, then you're ahead of the game. Yep. The bottom line is you got to win the games. Uh, Pittsburgh was on the schedule this week, as Jason pointed out in our private chat, as a verse to Notre Dame last year. So the schedule helps at times, especially when teams aren't as well. But Carolina is, in fact, 4-0. and Shout out to the 225-plus that have been here the whole show, all to the regulars, all to the new folks. I see a lot of new names. If we didn't get your question, um, send them to me in the chat, email them to me, whatever. We will get to them at some point. Full week this week, Carolina back, game week, Saturday, 3.30, Syracuse. So we got Mac Brown presser and coordinator pressers on Monday. Uh, Taylor Viplis and Jeff Shopman's show will drop on Monday on the Beat Live Tuesday night with Adam Jeremiah, myself, John Bowman, and Evan Rogers. Wednesday, a coast-to-coast podcast. Basketball is coming around the corner. Thursday, another special podcast, and the game plan is back with Jason and Greg and myself. Shout-out to Johnny T-Shirt. Shout-out to Congruity, new sponsor for the show. Shout out to Buck and Jason for always being awesome. It's all about the fans. And shout out to you guys. Thanks, Buck. Thanks, Jason. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.